Hi, guys. Welcome to The Liz Wheeler Show. I'm Liz Wheeler. I sat down for one of the most fascinating interviews that I have conducted. I've talked to a lot of great people on a lot of great topics, but this one, I think, will be one of your favorites. I want to make a little prediction and say I think this might be one of our highly, most highly rated episodes ever because I sat down with Julie Kelly. She's a senior writer at American Greatness. You might know her from her Twitter account. She is a reporter, an investigative reporter who has covered everything from Russiagate to January 6th to the Gretchen Whitmer fednapping to the FBI raid of Mar-a-Lago and all of the legal proceedings that have emanated from all of that. And I talked to her about when President Trump will be indicted, what will happen in our country after President Trump is indicted, will he be convicted? I talked to her about a question that I have been trying to find an answer to, and that is, who exactly is behind this particular plot, the January 6th plot to take down Trump? We knew that Hillary Clinton ultimately was behind the Christopher Steele Russiagate plot. Who's behind this one? And I talked to her about the connection between January 6th, the Gretchen Whitmer fednapping plot and the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago. I'm really excited for you guys to hear it. I hope you enjoy it. This is Julie Kelly. We're here in Miami, Florida at NatCon 3. It's a fabulous conference. I've been sitting down talking to some of the extremely smart uh, speakers who've been at this conference. With me right now is senior writer at American Greatness, Julie Kelly. Julie, good to see you. Good to see you, Liz. It's been a long time. Thanks for having me. It has. And I got to tell you, before we came to, before we arrived in Miami, I posted on my locals and asked my VIPs, who do you want me to interview? I sent them the list of all the speakers and you were the most requested interview. Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, that's an honor. It is. I love it is. that. And I'm sure everyone, you. if you haven't already read her book on January 6th, go to Amazon, look her up. It's an incredible read. Um, highly recommend that. I want to get into the weeds on this kind of stuff. There's a lot of uh, tiptoeing around in, uh, tiptoeing by Republican elected officials yes. around January 6th, around the FBI raid of Mar-a-Lago. And I want to start big picture here and ask you, what is going to happen as a result of the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago? Are they going to indict Trump? Absolutely. And I think that this was planned before the raid. Um, as you said, I've been covering the January 6th prosecution. Now over 900 Americans arrested and charged with various crimes related to January 6th. So it was always a way to build a case against Donald Trump. The raid on Mar-a-Lago, in my opinion, is just optics. He didn't do anything illegal. You could see in what they swept up over 12,000 documents, 99% of which had nothing to do with classified records. It's only to build its political theater. So it's attempting to convince the public that this criminal investigation into Donald Trump is legitimate. Although I think the eventually the charges will not have anything to do with the raid on Mar-a-Lago. I think that he will be charged with either obstruction of an official proceeding, conspiracy, possibly tampering with witnesses uh, or evidence, as Liz Cheney has suggested. Is that related to January 6th, not related to the It will be related FBI. to January 6th, yes. And you could see, Liz, last week, the announcement that dozens of Trump associates, uh, fundraisers related to the Save America PAC, 
which has nothing to do with January 6th. I mean, what happened at the Capitol anyway. Of course, there were it was part of the um, his speech at the ellipse beforehand. But they are desperately trying to put this case together. But Liz, here's the thing that you should know and your viewers. Um, I've watched this DOJ in action. I've watched this court, the D.C. District Court in action. I've seen what sort of indictments this D.C. grand jury has come up with. Um, there's no guardrails there. So they can present anything to this grand jury. They will come up and sign off on any ridiculous charges that they want. Uh, and the D.C., whoever the D.C. District Court judge, will basically allow DOJ to get away with whatever they want in terms of a criminal case against Donald Trump. So it's really an alarming judicial legal system there. Um, so unfortunately, if he is indicted, he is charged, the case proceeds in D.C., he'll have a D.C. jury and DOJ has an undefeated record before D.C. juries related to every case January 6th. All guilty verdicts on every single count for every single defendant in record time. Um, so you can imagine D.C. residents would relish the idea, the thought of being on a jury and convicting Donald Trump of anything. You think he'll be convicted? If he goes before a D.C. jury, absolutely. What do you think the response from our country will be? Um, I don't know. Um, and Liz, to your point, I think that this is part of DOJ, this regime's plan, is they want to charge Trump um, to foment some sort of uprising, you know, insurrection number two. Um, if he is convicted, I think that they will try to foment some more violence uh, associated with his conviction. Um, the charges, whatever they will be, will be completely bogus. He did nothing to obstruct an official proceeding on January 6th. There was no conspiracy. Um, but none of that matters, unfortunately. I call the D.C. Um, judicial and legal system, I call it a circle of hell. There's no way out for these defendants. Uh, judges refuse to change venues, even though they clearly see the bias of this D.C. jury pool and the judges themselves. So will Donald Trump succeed in moving a, a case, a trial out of D.C.? depends on who the judge is. It's going to be a protracted legal process, right? Because he'll have good attorneys who will appeal <clears throat> and they'll be, you know, it'll be a little bit longer than your typical January 6th uh, case or trial. But um, yeah, I, I just don't know, Liz, where we go from there. If you have this DOJ, once they indict him and a jury actually convict him, uh, you know, what happens from there? I don't know. When do you think that indictment would happen? This year. I really think After the midterms? No, I think probably before. I know people point to the 60-day rule at DOJ for not getting involved in political matters, but um, this DOJ is not abiding by any norms, any precedent. They are breaking every precedent uh, that has ever been established, including investigating a former president and raiding his personal residence. So, and here's uh, why part of the reason I feel like he'll be indicted. The Democrats, the attorney general, the media, everyone has ratcheted the, this up so high um, that their base has a full expectation that Donald Trump is going to be in handcuffs soon. If they don't produce those charges, uh, if they don't create that vision, that visual, Democrats will pay a political price in November. This is the number one issue really for most Democrats. This is something that the Democrat leadership in the media has created for six years since Crossfire Hurricane. If they don't have charges by November, by the election, this will be, there'll be uh, uproar by the Democratic base and they will pay uh, at the polls. And so I think that that's why we probably will see an indictment, at least one before 
the November election. Will they take into consideration the backlash politically from half of the country? I mean, the same sort of backlash that I don't think the Department of Justice was fully expecting from Republicans mm-hmm. after the FBI raided Mar-a-Lago. Will they take that into consideration when deciding whether to indict before or after the election? Because it could increase the red wave. Um, it could, but I think what they're banking on is um, they do want some sort of protest in the streets. You know, they want people to go to D.C. and have some sort of uh, protest or some kind of demonstration in support of Donald Trump so the Democrats could say, see, look, they don't even care if he's a criminal. They're still going to support him. They're a cult. They're insurrectionists. They're traitors. They're, you know, everything, domestic terrorists, everything that, look at what we heard yesterday in the anniversary of 9-11. If anyone doubts and the title of my book is How Democrats Use the Capitol Protest to Launch a War on Terror Against the Political Right. If anyone doubts that that is not what Democrats are weaponizing four hours in Capitol Hill, now more than 20 months ago, to justify this war on terror, all you have to do is listen to what Joe Biden said. Listen to what Kamala Harris said. Listen to what leading Democratic lawmakers said. Comparing 9-11 to January 6th, in some cases saying we pose a, we face a bigger threat now from domestic violent extremists than we did after 9-11. This is absurd rhetoric. Um, And so they keep ratcheting it up, as I said. Uh, So I think that part of it is to create some sort of backlash and also, Liz, to intimidate people into voting for Republican uh, lawmakers, congressmen who especially backed um, not what happened on January 6th, but the uh, election, the uh, commission to look into voter fraud that was actually being debated on January 6th. So they want to tie all these Republican lawmakers to Donald Trump, the you know, charged criminal, and uh, bully people out of voting for Republicans and taking over the House. I think that's part of this whole strategy. Yeah, I've said before that I think that the Democrats are the ones who want civil unrest. The Democrats actively want mm-hmm. a civil war. They want Republicans to respond violently in the event that Trump is indicted, perhaps even convicted. They want nothing more than for all of their false accusations from January 6th to become a reality in That's what right. they want to be a second insurrection. Because look at what their strategy is. If they can successfully label us as domestic terrorists, well, no one cares about terrorists, right? No one cares if the civil liberties of terrorists are suspended by the government. Mm-hmm. That's why they that's why they call us terrorists, so that they can say, we're going to restrict your speech because your speech is violent. We're going to deprive you of due process because you're a terrorist. We've done that in Guantanamo Bay for decades. You know, that that's what they want to do. They actually want to not just criminalize Trump because they hate him, not just criminalize his speech on January 6th and surrounding that, raising issues of, of election integrity. They want to criminalize our speech. That's exactly right. And that that you hit the nail on the head. That's perfectly encapsulates what they're doing. And of course, they have big tech working with them. They have regular media working with them. They have all the powerful interests on their side for this crusade of, of terror and intimidation. And it's only going to get worse. And that's what's so alarming. You know, you don't have one Democrat who has stood up and said, this is not what we want for our country. This is not the rhetoric we want out of someone called President Joe Biden, the speech that he gave last week. This is taking our country in a very destructive, dangerous path. Not one. And the media is cheering this every step of the way. Um, And so, yes, this is part of, this is what, you know, Marxist authoritarian regimes do. They have an extremely unpopular policy agenda. They have extremely unpopular leaders from Joe Biden to Kamala Harris to Nancy Pelosi. 
So instead of trying to win over the American people with solid policies, with solid governance, the border is wide open, crime is rampant in democratic cities. Um, You know, the giveaway, one giveaway after another, whether it's to Ukraine or student loans. Um, So they are the ones who are unpopular with the American people. So what do authoritarian regimes do? They keep pushing down the boot on the collective throat of the people. And that's what we're seeing here. Um, But the people are not on their side. There are some, of course, millions of Democrats who will go along with whatever is said and whatever they're told. Um, But I do think what you were saying, the raid on Mar-a-Lago took this from our side anyway, I think woke up a lot of people to where exactly this is headed, what this DOJ and FBI is capable of doing. And of course, now they're fighting this appointment of a special master. They don't want to show a third party what they have deemed or or deemed uh, designated classified material. Let's define material. special master really quick, too, just for perfect clarity's sake. So when the FBI came into Mar-a-Lago, they took uh, 11,000, 12,000 documents. Right. Less than 1% had classified markings mm-hmm. of any kind. And we'll get into the classification dispute in a second because I think that's an important conversation. But some of these were personal records of yes. President Trump's. I'm talking literal medical records, like mm-hmm. your most personal, vulnerable information in the hands of your political enemy. And a special master is supposed to be a neutral third party that looks at this to say this document is President Trump's private document. This is a document that falls under a legitimate claim of executive privilege. This is a document that the FBI is allowed to seize. And I mean, it's really suspect. It it tells you all you need to know, honestly, that the FBI doesn't want a special master, that they want to view all of President Trump's personal effects. Right. And I mean, if this were on the up and up and you have a DOJ under heavy suspicion by the majority of Americans, there was just a poll that came out last month. I'm sure that you saw it. That was evenly split between Americans who think that the DOJ is trustworthy and apolitical and those who don't. Now, of course, the overwhelming majority of people who think the DOJ is trustworthy now are Democrats. But you had 68% of Republicans say this DOJ is political, it's corrupt, and cannot be trusted. Half of independents said that. So you have a DOJ with crashing credibility. One way to kind of try to restore that is to back a third party. Okay, we fully have faith in what we're telling the public, what was uh, we outlined in this affidavit, um, what's been leaked to the media. So yes, we do want a third party with security clearance to go through these documents, Um, but they're fighting this. They've already appealed it. They've asked for a partial stay, which means that uh, Judge Cannon's order that this third party would look at the 100 or so classified documents. They want to carve that out, set that aside from the third party. Exactly. You're smiling because we've seen this all before. They're so emboldened because Republicans never held them accountable for crossfire hurricane. They think that they can get away with everything because they have big tech censoring the truth. The mainstream media swooping into that information vacuum Mm -hmm. with lies and a Department of Justice that's actively going after us. Let's talk about those 100 documents for a second. So President Trump has contended that he had a standing order when he was president of the United States that if he took any documents to Mar-a-Lago that were classified, that they became declassified, which would allow him to take them off of a classified premises. So I, I guess I don't understand. Maybe you have an answer to this. I don't understand why Republicans in general aren't using this as their primary talking point, asking the Democrats, do you dispute that President Trump actually declassified those documents? Or do you dispute that he had the authority as chief executive as the ultimate arbiter of classification? Because it really has to be one of those two answers, right? 
Exactly. But we can't get a straight answer on that. So which is it? So they were arguing now that he does not have the power to class declassify. Well, of course he does. Um, <clears throat> so there is speculation that some of these documents were related to Crossfire Hurricane, um, which we know that he declassified. And he could declassify anything that he wanted. Um, and and so, he didn't have to go through a bureaucratic process. Like no. They might not know if he had right. declassified them, correct? And furthermore, if a document is declassified, my understanding is there's not a big rubber stamp that says declassified. Um, not if it's the president that declassified it. Exactly. So this is why they don't want to uh, produce these documents to a third party. Now, Liz, I was going through, and you might have seen this on Twitter, I was going through the hysteria when Trump de uh, declassified the FISA application against Carter Page. Now, this is something that DOJ and the FBI fought. Um, the media, of course, the blue check legal experts went crazy. This was going to violate. This is going to um, threaten national security. This goes before a secret court. This is related to terrorist activity. Well, now we know why they wanted it concealed, because it was 100 percent garbage. It was based on the dossier. It was based on the word of, a pol of political paid operatives by the DNC and Clinton campaign, Christopher Steele. That's why they wanted it concealed. So we have no reason to trust that these documents that they said are classified are actually classified. So now um, I believe Judge Cannon is going to rule this week, uh, sometime this week, about the special master. I'm hoping that she does not grant the government's motion to stay, that she keeps those hundred classified documents in the trove that the third party will look at. She's on to the DOJ, though. Um, she's done more to expose this corrupt, rogue investigation than anybody has. And she made she forced a government prosecutor to admit that there are leaks coming out of this investigation to the media. She also um, clarified that at least on two occasions, so you have a filter team that's supposed to go through, as you were saying, determine what documents are executive privilege, attorney-client privilege, personal records. And then they go through that and they hand over what they think should be part of the criminal investigation to the investigators. On at least two occasions, material that should not have gone to the investigators did and the investigative team gave it back to this filter team. So you're trying to convince a judge or the court or the American people that this system we have down, of course, it's the FBI. So why would we ever question them? You know, let's see the filter team for Hunter Biden's laptop or anything else. <laughs> so um, but there hasn't. So she busted them on that as well. So I don't think. And then the day after her ruling where she called out leaks by the media, the Washington Post publishes a story claiming again um, that some of these documents included national security uh, information about a foreign country and their nuclear capabilities. What does that mean, Liz? That could be a think tank paper. That could be a Washington Post article because we know that they stole press clippings out of his personal items. So um, so the day after that, then they uh, here they are trying to leak and spin again. None of this should um, give Americans confidence that this is on the up and up. And I really hope that Judge Cannon does not grant anything that this government is doing, that she appoints a third party and then they proceed. When I saw the original Washington Post headline saying this had these documents had to do with nuclear weapons, I thought, who on earth would be gullible <laughs> enough to believe this? But it really comes back to that same question. Even entertaining the idea that there was something related to that, do they not? Do they dispute the authority of a president to declassify that, even if they right. disagree with the declassification? How can you how can you proceed like this without that dispute being resolved, it, I guess, through our legal system. Right. But let me ask you this. Of these documents, maybe they're related to Crossfire Hurricane. Maybe the FBI is trying to 
cover their tracks. I don't mm -hmm. know. I mean, it sounds far-fetched. I At this point, what is far-fetched for the FBI? What do you think they're trying to find? Um, what I think they're trying to find really are embarrassing, anything embarrassing personal lives that he had that they could leak to the media, perhaps his medical records. They took medical records. They took accounting files. They took tax records. So to take that and leak it. What I really think is they're trying to find any record that is related to January 6th because there is this um, subpoena from the committee to gather, produce, collect um, any documents that Donald Trump has from April 2020 through January 6th about the election, about anything related to the election. Um, so I think that they're trying to find any file that he didn't turn over to the archivist who would then give it to the January 6th committee. I think that So the archivist, let's pause there for a second, because that's a really interesting point, mm -hmm. right? That's a very interesting point to note that it's not just the archivist you think is being like a glorified librarian, right? Like this is where we have all of the Obama documents. This is where we have all the Bush documents. This right. is where we have all the Trump documents. But this archivist wasn't just putting this on a dusty library shelf. He was taking these documents, and because he was under subpoena from the January 6th committee, any documents that he took from Trump, he was just handing right over to That's DOJ. That's exactly right. That's, That's exactly quite right. It, it really is. Because, of course, the January 6th committee and DOJ are working hand-in-hand hand on this criminal investigation. They're sharing information. Um, we know that they plan to turn over witness transcripts that will go that will become part of this criminal investigation. So this is so right. Liz, are we really expected to believe that Barack Obama or George W. Bush or even Jimmy Carter, that they don't have government records, that they don't have highly classified documents, top secret, anything that has to do with the wars that they launched or escalated or any of their behind the scenes considerations, any of the dirty tricks that the Obama White House tried to pull? Are we really expected to believe that none of those presidents have any Anything like that? I mean, 30 million pages Barack Obama has in Chicago right now. Right. Well, I guess we'll see when he starts his library what he's had or or what he, we'll never know what he has in his no, personal he was going to digitize it, but he's not. Mm -hmm. But the secret. It's taken a long time. The National it? Archives was happy to secure a place. That's the other part right. of this. They claim that this is that Mar-a-Lago is so fundamentally insecure for these documents. I think it was Joy Reid on MSNBC suggested that the spate of U.S. intelligence assets, essentially CIA spies that have been killed in the last two years, could be a result, she suggested, of the documents at Mar-a-Lago sure. because it was insecure. And I thought to myself, isn't Mar-a-Lago secured by the Secret Service? Yes, it is, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, and I, I live in suburban Chicago. I'm like, I should go up there and see exactly where this warehouse is, where all these documents are, 30 million pieces of paper are allegedly, you know, under tight seal and security. Um, so, but Liz, your viewers know this, our side knows this. It's not just the hypocrisy that really angers people about between how different presidents are right. being treated. I think what riles people the most about January 6th is no one has forgotten what happened in 2020. The ongoing riots that really were ter acts of terror, that destroyed parts of American cities that still have not been rebuilt, that resulted in the deaths of dozens of Americans, who knows how many police officers attacked and injured. To see the disparity in how the DOJ has completely memory hold that, they're dropping cases really about what happened in 2020. Um, you have now more than three times as many Americans facing federal charges for January 6th than the totality of 2020. 
things that ha went on for months on federal property against federal officials. Think of what happened when all those lawmakers were leaving the White House um, in September of 2020. Rand Paul, um, I think it was Brian Mast, the Republican, they were attacked. They were, I mean, they were physically confronted by these lunatics. None of them faced charges. And those rioters and, and uh, activists came far closer to any member of Congress than what happened on January 6th. So, um, but this is to your point, again, this is what the left wants. They wanna keep escalating it. They wanna shove it in our face that they have the power, that they are the ones responsible for this double system of justice. Um, and so how does this end? Usually not well. Not well, I mean, it's a depressing thought. I wrote yeah. a piece for Newsweek two or three weeks ago called Abolish the FBI, mm -hmm. because if we can't trust a federal law enforcement agent see the way that we can't trust the FBI, then they become a danger to uh, the, mm -hmm. the freedom of American citizens. How do you think we should solve the problems at the FBI? Do you think it should be abolished? And if not, how do we fix it given what it is? I don't think that it's fixable. So I agree with you. And it's not just January 6th, and it's not even just Crossfire Hurricane. As you know, I covered the Whitmer uh, so-called kidnapping and fednapping. The fednapping, <laughs> exactly. I think you coined that phrase. Uh, well, right? my friend I've... Liz Shell did, but I I took it over from her. Oh so. well, I should give her credit then, because I think I gave Thanks, you credit Liz. when I took that when I used that term. Nowadays. I know it's I tell funny. her all the time though. I'm like, I know I get credit, but it's actually you. But thank you. She doesn't care. Um, but it was a fednapping, and so you had so people who want to believe that this is just a top tier. Um, issue with the FBI. It's not because this kidnapping hoax was hatched and engineered by multiple FBI undercover agents and informants working with multiple FBI supervising agents out of numerous field offices across the eastern part of the country. So, and what these handling agents did um, is uh, of course, it didn't really come out in court because the judge didn't allow it. But there's plenty of court filings that show it. I mean, they entrapped these men. They stitched these kind of random group of outliers or outcasts together so they could create this so-called crime of white militia men loyal to Donald Trump. None of them were, by the way, um, to try to kidnap and assassinate one of Donald Trump's most public political foes. It interfered in the 2020 election because the arrests were announced on October 8th of 2020. Gretchen Whitmer went on her nonstop sob story, uh, you know, publicity toward blaming Donald Trump for this. Joe Biden blamed Donald Trump for this. We'll never know how many votes were impacted by this. So I think watching the two trials, listening to the two trials, reading all the motions and documents about what the FBI did, um, it's clear that this is a mentality that infects all 56 field offices. Um, so it's not getting rid of Christopher Ray or whoever her, his top lieutenants are. It is a top to bottom deconstruction of the FBI. Whatever federal powers are necessary, find what other federal agents can absorb that. Most of it can be given to state and local law enforcement where at least there's some accountability. The FBI is so huge. 36,000 employees, a $10 billion budget. They want a $537 million raise next year. I mean, this is an agency out of control, unaccountable. To your point, the Republicans talked for how long that they were gonna get to the bottom of Crossfire Hurricane, that anyone would be held responsible. That simply is not the case. So then it's accelerated and here we are now with the Whitmer Fed napping and uh, January 6th and now a raid on Mar-a-Lago. I think that they might raid Bedminster too. I think that 
could possibly be next because I'm sure you saw the video circulating this weekend. Oh, here's bankers boxes. Well, anyone who gets, you know, loses their job or they move offices, of course, those are the boxes that you put your records in. Um, So that could be next, another uh, acceleration of this. And that's what the mainstream media does, by the way. They act as stooges. They're happy to circulate that video to Mm -hmm. condition the American people for what's to come. That's right. An interesting thing that you pointed out that I'd like you to go in more depth about is the connection between the Whitmer Fed napping Mm -hmm. and the agents who were involved, especially the supervisor from the Detroit field office, Mm -hmm. the Washington, D.C. field office, who was overseeing that on January 6th, and then the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago. What is the connection between the three? The connection is a man named Stephen D'Antuano. So Stephen D'Antuano ran the Detroit FBI field office. It is the main, the only main FBI field office, and then it has little satellite offices, as all field offices do. Um, So that would be the office responsible for the supervising agents, the main informant, a man named Dan Chappell, who went by Big Dan, he's really the one that lured these men into this group, um, lured them into various FBI-created um, surveillance trips, uh, training uh, field missions, they would call it. So he's the guy, really, that would have overseen the main facet of this. Um, the arrests were made on October 7th, 2020. October 8th, as I said, Gretchen Whitmer came out, Dana Nessel, the attorney general for Michigan, all this huge publicity about the arrest. A week later, Christopher Ray promoted Stephen D'Antuano from the Detroit FBI field office to the plum assignment of taking over the most powerful FBI field office in the country, which is in Washington, D.C. Now, why all of a sudden did Stephen D'Antuano get promoted? Why was he moved to Washington, D.C. to probably help with whatever happened on January 6th, overseeing FBI agents, undercover agents and informants who are part of January 6th. We already know from reporting, also court motions, that there were FBI assets run into some of these so-called militia groups like the Proud Boys months before January 6th. Um, So why was he moved? What did he do? Part of the fednapping hoax, Liz, as you know from probably reading my reporting or elsewhere, on April 30th of 2020, these same elements, including the main informant, Dan Chappell, were at the Lansing Capitol to protest lockdowns. It was the dress rehearsal for January 6th. Uh, the Michigan State Police were there. You had some of these militia guys. You know, they're dressed in various garbs. Some of them have weapons, which was not against the law. Um, and the F- that Dan Chappell confirmed in both trials that the FBI told the Michigan State Police to stand down and let these protesters into the building where some of them were calling out, demanding to see Gretchen Whitmer, that they wanted to, you know, they were trying to bang on her door. There were confrontations with police. There were tons of photographers there taking pictures. This was the dress rehearsal for what happened on January 6th and who was, who were the FBI agents who were telling the Michigan State Police to stand down? Well, it certainly wasn't Christopher Wray would be whoever was in Michigan working. It was either Stephen D'Antuano himself or certainly people working for him. Um, he's now, of course, the lead investigator on the January 6th criminal investigation. He sent agents to Mar-a-Lago. Um, so this is the big tie between the two, which is why I don't let the Whitmer case, um, I, I haven't stopped covering it. And it's far from over now, even though two men finally were convicted after they had a hung jury. Two men were acquitted in April. Two men got a hung jury. 
Another jury just convicted the remaining two. There's major reasons for appeal, including now reports of juror misconduct. So, um, but that's why the media ignored the trials, right? Because they did not want to admit and acknowledge the ties between <clears throat> the Whitmer hoax and January 6th. You were the only one, to my knowledge, covering the Whitmer trial, or especially the retrial that was happening. Mm -hmm. So Stephen D'Antuano, mm -hmm. this name, this man, this FBI agent who was uh, in Detroit, then promoted to Washington, D.C., sent agents down to Mar-a-Lago. Is he the one? Is he the proverbial they who is behind all this, or is he the enforcer? Um, <clears throat> I have to say I've watched him at, at press conferences and videos. He doesn't come across to me as a mastermind of any kind. Um, he would just sort of be executing the orders. Um, he's a big talker. Like he gave the press conference on January 12th and said, you know, we we don't do easy. We're the FBI. We're going to work 24-7. He was threatening Americans. If you were involved, we're going to be banging on your door, urging relatives and family or uh, and friends, neighbors to rat on uh, January 6th protesters, turn them into the FBI. You'll recall, too, Liz, he was also the guy who was responsible for the pipe bomber investigation. He's the one who posted the videos, which we now know from Darren Beatty at Revolver.News. Um, there were parts of that video cut out. Um, here we are more than 20 months later. Stephen D'Antuano, the mastermind, uh, still has not identified or charged the so-called pipe bomber. So um, that's just another weird aspect of January 6th. Just another 6th. coincidence. Just, right, I know. There's just so many. I mean, I don't, don't know think why we're them. skeptical. <laughs> no idea. Yeah, so he really is sort of the um, the biggest tie between uh, the FBI, the Whitmer uh, issue in January 6th. Um, but the pipe bomber story is another thing that the media has completely memory hold. So is the January 6th Select Committee. There hasn't been any hearing on that. They haven't dragged Christopher Ray in or Stephen D'Antuano and said, this really launched the hysteria that day. This put at risk Kamala Harris because she went to the DNC headquarters where one of the explosives was allegedly found. Uh, right as the joint session was starting, another weird coincidence that just some woman was just randomly walking by and noticed this, you know, piece of plastic tubing and a kitchen timer and then. I wouldn't even see that if I was walking by a garden. Well, you would see it if you were a woman working for uh, an agency that had just received a $92 million grant from the FBI. So maybe then you would be a little bit more observant. I know, maybe. more skepticism. Maybe if I was right. incentivized in a slightly Who different way. Who doesn't just go do their laundry, you know, quarter to one and walk past a building and just happen to see something and notify people? And then just so happens that you're a federal contractor working with law enforcement. And uh, yeah, just can't make that So going back to Crossfire Hurricane for a second, we, as we untangled the reality of what that conspiracy is, and I think, by the way, the term conspiracy theory has been conflated with conspiracy. Because there are absolutely conspiracies, political conspiracies that one party stages against another. Conspiracy theory is something that's not true, that people believe right. is true without the evidence. But Crossfire Hurricane was clearly a conspiracy against Donald Trump. Yes, it was. And some of the key players, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, they were the ones who made the headlines early on mm -hmm. for not just their tawdry love affair, but their text messages about mm -hmm. taking Trump out. It was the first real evidence from DOJ officials that it actually was a conservative effort, but they were not the ones who hatched this plot. They were not the ones who 
were in, in charge of it, I guess, for lack right. of a better phrase. They were the enforcers. We later realized, well, Hillary Clinton's campaign mm-hmm. actually paid the law firm Perkins Coy to then hire this foreign, this foreign and this foreign spy to conduct or to compile the the steel dossier full of Russian disinformation. The DNC was involved. Mm-hmm. And we realized it came from the upper echelons of the Democratic Party, the most powerful players right. on the Democratic side. So is that the case for this conspiracy as well? Does this go into the upper echelons of the Democratic Party, the highest, the most powerful leaders among Democrats? Um, January 6th? Yes. Yes, I believe so. Um, one, this is the question I get a lot. Who is Ray Epps? Why is Ray Epps now still not charged? Um, there is a strong belief by some who covered this, the videos, et cetera, who I communicate with, who believe that there were political actors there on the ground who were instigators um, <clears throat> or just pr- producing visuals, right? Um, Ray Epps could be one of them. We still don't have a good e- explanation as to someone who is encouraging the insurrection for two days, why he still has not faced any charges when people who did far less, um, you know, have been convicted and are going to jail. Um, so yes, I think the biggest culprit is probably Nancy Pelosi. And this is why the January 6th select committee, Benny Thompson, the chairman said her office is, her office is off record, is, uh, off, offline, off records. We are not going to pursue, uh, any communications from her office related to January 6th. Uh, why she intentionally left the Capitol unsecure that day, because it is the sergeant at arms for the House, the sergeant at arms for the Senate, and the um, architect for the Capitol that make up this Capitol Police Board. They are the ones responsible for security at Capitol Hill. Why did they repeatedly reject calls from the Capitol Police chief for more security on January 6th? Even that afternoon, as the chaos was unfolding, we can't see any records or material communications, emails, call logs from Nancy Pelosi to Capitol Police, to the FBI, to uh, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser, who hasn't said a word about why she only wanted 300-some-odd National Guardsmen that day, mostly directing traffic. So, yes, I believe that this goes to the highest echelons, not just in the government, but also uh, Democratic politicians and probably Republicans like Mitch McConnell as well, um, because his sergeant at arms was part of this. He, Mitch McConnell, more than any other Republican, wanted the events of January 6th shut down. Not the certification, but you had enough Republican House members and senators working together to demand this 10-day election audit commission. That's what was happening when the Capitol was breached. After the protest um, and the, set, the joint session reconvened, you had senators like Jim Lankford, who was actually speaking during the breach, that he had changed his mind on proceeding with the audit commission, that entire operation that they really could have been successful at was shut down. Mitch McConnell late that night told a reporter that what had happened that day was um, exhilarating because he got his way. He warned Republican senators, do not go forward. The election is over. Joe Biden is the president. Do not go forward with this election audit commission. Well, they all got their way at the end of the day. It wasn't Donald Trump who wanted the the business of January 6th shut down. It was Nancy Pelosi, Mitch McConnell, the Democrats, plenty of Republicans, um, and they got their way. Remember, Mitch McConnell runs the most powerful 
super PAC to elect Republicans to the United States Senate. And if Republican senators don't do his bidding, then they lose what's mostly their biggest campaign donors. That's right. It's unfortunate the grip that he has on the U.S. on Republican senators because um, he's he's been a bad actor in all of this, and um, it's it's really unfortunate the party is stuck. With well, him. Republicans, when we take back the House, when <laughs> we take right. back the House in November, I guess in January, when the when the new Congress is sworn in, will we be able to get access to Nancy Pelosi's records, to Mayor Bowser's records, in pursuit of the truth? of what happened around January 6th? It'll be interesting to see, won't it? I mean, Republicans really need to form their own January 6th committee, and they need to subpoena all of these records from Nancy Pelosi, from Muriel Bowser, from Mitch McConnell, from Capitol Police. Capitol Police, as you know, are concealing, along with DOJ, 14,000 hours of surveillance video that was captured inside and outside the Capitol on January 6th. Why are they keeping that footage under wraps? If we really want to see the whole truth about January 6th, then that would be a no-brainer, release all of that video. Um, so they need to form their own committee. Will they have the guts to do it is the big question. The answer is probably no, because if they are confronted with the reality of January 6th, how this was months in the making, uh, how many FBI and other government assets were on the ground before and during the protest, um, they're going to have to confront that and come up with not a solution, but retribution for what they've put the country through. This Republican leadership, I don't think, has the backbone to take on something so massive, so scandalous, so destructive. Um, but a literal insurrection. A literal insurrection. That's what it was. All right. So on locals, when I ask um, my VIPs on locals who they wanted me to interview and they chose you, I also asked them if they had any questions for you. So I want to read oh, a good. question. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I want to read a question from Amy B., this is such a great question. Okay. She said, has any mainstream media outlet or journalist ever reached out to you, even secretly and not for print, regarding your research into January 6th? Yes. But I won't say who they are. Did it ever get printed? Um, well, I, I communicate occasionally with some reporters who you would not consider really on our side, but who cover January 6th. I do appreciate their work, and I think that we have different... Um, angles to it. You know, they've got the inside track with the prosecutors. They're the first ones who are notified about indictments, et cetera. There are some things that I've scooped and certainly related to, um, you know, the treatment of January 6th detainees. So, um, but no, I, I can't remember if any of it has been covered. Um, but I know that there is some communication occasionally. And you don't want, you don't want to rat out people who are trying to pursue the truth, even, even if they're left and you're on the right. Right. Did they ever express an attitude of bewilderment that the rest of the media doesn't cover what you're covering? No, because, I, you know, they're glad because they're corporate media types and they have their spin, even though they do produce some good information, sometimes good material, good, decent reporting. For example, um, the outlet that uncovered the 14,000 hours of surveillance video, the affidavit was Politico. Uh, Politico also was the outlet who called um, BS on the idea that Kamala Harris was in the Capitol when she wasn't. And that was part of thousands of affidavits that Kamala Harris was in the Capitol and therefore these people were threatening her life and, and this was a secured location. She actually was at the DNC headquarters where the explosive was. We still don't have answers on that. Anyway, there is some good reporting. You just kind of have to go through the spin. You know, we all have our spin. 
Um, but some of these outlets are doing good work. Others, not so much. I mean, I would point out someone like Ryan Riley at NBC News. He does nothing but the bidding of DOJ, um, smearing innocent people, um, mocking January Sixers, detainees, and even people including detainees' wives. Um, so, you know, there's certainly those propagandists. But there, I, ha- I will say there is some good reporting. The outlet that did the best reporting on Whitmer that caught my attention was BuzzFeed. So they did the first really deep dive investigative report into Whitmer. And they are the ones that basically said, questions now are, but for the FBI's involvement, would this plan ever have even come together? Well, the answer is no. So they did some good reporting. So sometimes you just have to, you know. Sometimes you'll be surprised. (laughs) Exactly. Once in a while. That's right. Um, Okay, last question. I do have to get one more in because this is a good question too. This is from Christian, username C Swanson one Christian says, I have to question if the Taint team, this is about the FBI mm-hmm. raid at Mar-a-Lago, if the Taint team oversight wasn't instead a plan, a planned strategy, how would something of this magnitude be overlooked? What are your thoughts about them planting evidence? Um, oh, I wouldn't put anything past them at all. Absolutely not. Um, I mean, how do we know? No one was at Mar-a-Lago. There, I know there are record, there's supposed to be recordings. But I think DOJ wants, I think DOJ has those recordings. They subpoenaed them so that Trump can't release them. Exactly. So, you know, they know all of the tricks, but we've seen all the tricks, right? So that's why we can call this out. Uh, would you put past planting evidence at the, by the FBI? No, because they just planted tons of evidence in the Whitmer case. And they plant, crossfire hurricane. And crossfire hurricane. I mean, we were told, you know, oh, well, this is a, you know, Maltese scholar and we should trust. He's an FBI asset. So is Christopher Steele. He was an informant for the FBI at the same time that, um, you know, we were being told he was a legitimate former British intelligence officer. So they plant people, they plant evidence. um, And so the idea that this taint team or investigative team, that they're not working together, please. Please. (laughs) This this was so fabulous. Thank you for sitting down with me. Thank you guys, not just for watching. Thank you for submitting questions. All the I wish we could get to all the questions. There's dozens of them, but thank you for those questions. Let me know what you think of this. Make sure to get Julie Kelly's book with the longest title in the history of the world. Exactly. I can't even tell you what it is. It's so long. (laughs) You can just go to Amazon (laughs) or wherever you buy your books and type in Julie Kelly January 6th and the book will populate. Yeah. That's how you can remember it as the book with the longest title. Um, Thank you again for sitting down. Thank you for all your stellar reporting. 